Cairo, Seattle. It's time to get schooled with a professor, John Clayton. And welcome to Schooled with a Professor, uh, John Clayton here. And, uh, you know, plenty of things still continuing to go on in the National Football League, but a lot of things that uh, relate to football and doesn't relate to football. And joining us from the NFL Network is Judy Batista. And, Judy, I guess the big thing we start off is is what's going on with, uh, you know, the, the riots. Not, not the riots necessarily, but the what's going on with racism and all these different things because – uh, I was stunned. I don't know if you were too when Roger Goodell came out uh, a week, week ago Friday and you know made the announcement that uh, they they need to listen more. The league needs to listen more, and also that they they were wrong in how they handled things. How surprised were you when he did that? Uh, yeah, I'm surprised. There's no question about it. I think everybody was surprised. Um, you know, not because it was a personal reversal for Roger Goodell who might very well have felt those things privately, but because the reaction of the league, you know, a few years ago with Colin Kaepernick and, and players protesting was so different from uh, from what that statement represented. It was such a turnaround, and, and it also sort of opened the door to the question of, well, what does that mean when the season starts? Because I think most of us expect that players are going to be protesting, probably many, many more players than were protesting before. Um, and so what does that mean? Uh, you know, it certainly sounded like Roger Cadell gave them his blessing. He even said, I protest with you. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see how the league handles it. And certainly it's going to be interesting to see how the league handles if the president responds to it. Um, you know, but it, it was fascinating. And, I, you know, I certainly talked to people, owners and other associates of Roger Cadell who were as surprised as the rest of us were by it. Who did he th- you think that uh, he actually talked to from the ownership standpoint? Because I know he talked to I, some owners, but I don't think it was many. It was not many. I was told a very small number of people. Um, I, I don't know who they are. Um, I, I can probably guess, but I, you know, but I was told it was very few. And I talked to owners uh, who were surprised, you know, who certainly did, had not been given a heads up and hadn't been consulted, and who saw it when we saw it. Um, so I, I think it, you know, probably took some owners by surprise. I, I asked one owner what kind of reaction he thought it was going to get, and he said he thought that, you know, most owners would be supportive, you know, that there would probably be some who had some concerns, um, you know, about protests during the season and how fans might receive that. But he said, you know, he thought the message generally would, would be supported by most owners. I thought the uh, the most interesting thing, and I thought uh, this is uh, we in the NFL, we are listening right now. And what I would hope is that, uh, you know, Roger, the league office and everybody work with some of the top players in the league to figure out if there's a better way to present this as opposed to just kneeling and work together with the players to try to come up with a good uh, way to do this. Yeah, and I mean, they've got they've got some time, right? You know, they've got a few weeks here before, well, they've got more than a few weeks before the regular season would start. Um, and, and I think it's a good question about, like, what, how will the league approach it with players? Um, you know, and, and uh, the, to me, the next question is going to be, how are the individual owners going to handle it, right? That's the next question. Um, it's not that Goodell seems to be supportive. So he, I would not expect the league to reverse position now, now that he has said, go ahead and protest, we support you. But 
what will the individual owners say to players? What you know, there are, there's no question there are going to be some owners who are much more comfortable with protesting than other owners are, and so that that I think is the next uh, step in this. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, I, my my problem is I can't think of what is a better better way to display uh, Black Lives Matters and all that. Uh, I wish I could come up with something. I mean, is that has has there been any conversations about what are some other things? I mean, the one thing I know that uh, works well is videos. Because, again, you've seen how well the players put put together some of the videos and uh, expressing uh, the concerns and all that stuff. And, you know, working with the league, I think they can put up some videos. But it, would that not would that be enough? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Look, I it's certainly I've heard from players who want to see, you know, who, who want to see more action. Right. They right. want to see concrete action and results and even, you know, the, the league. Um, made an announcement late last week about um, upping their contribution. It's a quarter of a billion dollars to social justice initiatives. That's, I mean, that's obviously an enormous amount of money, um, which is great. But even then, you know, you heard people say like, okay, we want to see real results though. Like it's great to use your, you know, your wealth and your resources to, you know, improve these things, but we want to see concrete Results, and I think that's also going to be the next step. That like, like what kind of on the ground effort is the league going to get involved with to improve conditions, to change legislation, the, the sort of real nitty gritty work that goes into change. Yeah, and of course uh, that would be one. Uh, what? Who do you think would be some of the players that would be good to kind of pull in and work with Roger Goodell on this? Well, listen, I think those players who were involved in that very powerful video that the, that the players put together, um, like they are obviously great spokesmen for themselves. And I, the fact that Patrick Mahomes, who is the face of the league now and is probably going to be the face of the league for a good dozen years, the fact that he is already um, using his platform as powerfully as he is, is important. So I certainly think having somebody like Patrick Mahomes involved. Obviously, Malcolm Jenkins is already involved. Uh, you know, I think it's important that um, you're also seeing some of the white stars in the game be supportive of it. I, I think that is important. Like, I think you can't just have, um, a, you know, one group of players. It helps you have a large group of players. Um, so I, I think it helps if Drew Brees, for example, who, of course, created so much controversy and then apologized and said he is going to be a good ally. Like, I think it would be really good and powerful if Drew Brees became a very big spokesman for social justice initiatives to work with the league on that um, and to work with, you know, Malcolm Jenkins and his group. And, and again, uh, that video that had so many of the young stars in the game involved, Saquon Barkley, um, Odell, again, Patrick Mahomes, those guys, those big star players, they, they generate a lot of attention, and that's really important. No question. Now, the uh, other thing is uh, each day it looks like uh, the league is putting together what's going to be needed to get uh, the season going, training camp, all those different things. Uh, the I guess uh, we pretty well acknowledge that it's going to be two preseason games, but I still wonder about that. Uh, what's the biggest thing that you've seen so far as far as well, how this season is going to shape up? 
well, I think that's the next, um, you know, they're working on that now, right? Like, are they going to change the preseason? Um, and certainly it look, they're going to have to do it in some way, right? Because the players haven't been together um, and haven't been on the field. And so they're going to have to create some kind of schedule where there will be a longer acclimation period for the players. Um, you know, they are proceeding as if the regular season is going to kick off on time. And so if they stick to that, which I think certainly the league office wants to, that is a priority, then you have to sort of back up a number of weeks, right? And in that case, you you know, I think the choice is pretty clear. It's either you have an earlier reporting date or you report for training camp at the same time, you know, late July, and then you change the preseason and maybe, you know, eliminate two preseason games. I've certainly talked to teams that are working on that assumption that there there is going to be just two preseason games. It's hard to imagine that the players' union would sign off on a very early reporting date. You know, I, you remember Bruce Arians sort of said this, I think, a week or 10 days ago about, well, could you maybe get some players in for camp, like a quarterback camp, earlier in July? Eh, I don't I don't know. I, I can't envision the union saying, like, yeah, sure, we'll send some players back, you know, on July 12th. That seems early. So I think most, I, I think teams much more expect that there will be some changes to the preseason schedule and probably eliminating two preseason games, which, quite frankly, let's be honest, not a whole lot of tears are going to be shed over losing preseason games. So that would seem to be um, a pretty easy fix for this situation. Well, you can also see it sets up something for the future. If uh, next year, 2021 yeah, is going to be right. more of a normal year, is that uh, you know to make up for some of the lost revenue, you would have to think that the owners are going to put that 17th game in there because that could be another billion dollars or so, uh, 17th week. And so that would be one that they can add. Now it cuts some of the losses for the people that aren't going to be in the stands. And then uh, what you do is you have two preseason games and 17 regular season games. I, I could see this kind of shaping up. Yeah, exactly. I think it's, that's what I mean. It's, that's an, I think that's a pretty easy fix. And again, not one that too many people are going to, you know, throw their hands up in disgust over. I think that would be a pretty popular decision. Um, so uh, that is certainly the outcome that I expect, that they will change the preseason schedule. And, I, you know, but they've got to work. As you know, all of these things have to be negotiated with the players' union. Um, and that's, you know, that takes time. No doubt. What uh, what do you feel as far as uh, fans in the stands? What uh, will there be some? Yeah, will there I, be, well, that's the big. I guess that's the big uh, elephant in the room right that's now. That's the big one. Yeah, that is the big element that, that nobody knows the answer to. I, I would expect um, that it's going to vary across the country, just as we've seen with pretty much everything else. Things are varied across the country, and that is what I expect. Again, is that you know we'll have fans in some places, you know, maybe 50%, maybe 25%. I would not be surprised if you had places that have no fans. I certainly think that's conceivable and that may not have fans for a long time. Um, you know, and, and I mostly I just think it's going to vary state by state and, you know, what the local recommendations are. And, and I would expect that that will even change during the course of the season. You know, I mean, Certainly nobody wants a second wave, but what happens if there's a second wave? You know, then you, you know, you eliminate fans, you get fans out of there in the hopes that you continue to play. I mean, certainly, you know, they'd like fans to be there as much as they can. It's obviously a, you know, it's an enormous revenue loss if they don't have any fans there. But, um, you know, the priority has to be the safety of everybody, fans and, and you know, and players. 
Oh, no doubt. And that's where, uh, you know, some decisions have to be made. And that's one going over. But I tell you what, so far, uh, the way because I, I thought that uh, there was going to be a delay in the start of free agency and there wasn't. I thought that uh, no. maybe they would delay the yeah. draft. I thought Roger Goodell's done a pretty good job of trying to keep things on schedule because, uh, you know, at least they got 169 players that got deals done and unrestricted free agency going to different teams. And then the, the draft went smoothly. Yeah, and that has been their priority all along. That has been their sort of mantra all along is to keep things on schedule as much as you can until you can't, right? And so, they, you know, they do the draft in a very unconventional way. Again, they did free agency. You know, that that is pretty much the same anyway. Um, you know, and then they obviously had to do these very unusual virtual off-season programs. But, you know, the, the thought was you just keep moving along until something really stops you from moving along. And they haven't really gotten to that yet. Now, obviously, we are getting to a critical point of the year. You know, can they get training camps open on time? Can they get the regular season kicked off on time? I mean, these, this is really the tough stuff now, now that everything has to be in person. But they've done a very good job. And I, I think Roger, you know, very much to his credit, has, you know, has, has managed this quite well. Um, and, and at the same time, look, they, they are obviously having negotiations with the union on all of this, not just on the medical stuff, but on the financial implications um, of revenue loss. And they've managed to have all of these conversations and keep them, you know, keep them positive in a way that we've obviously seen in other leagues, in baseball in particular, has not been the case. And so that's important, too. They have managed to keep going. They're, they're managing to have what I'm sure are difficult conversations, um, uh, you know, and but they keep doing business and they keep moving along. One of the most uh, interesting negotiations is going to be what the players and the owners do as far as figuring out what the cap's going to be next year, because figuring there's going to be right. enough lost revenue. Like if there's nobody in the stands, that's $5.5 billion. But <clears throat> you figure there's still going to be, as you say, as, and we both say, that there's going to be teams that have 25%, 50%. We'll see how that goes. But uh, the cap is, you know, there's going to be less revenue. And so how do you think that they handle that? as far as trying to keep the cap as close as it can? Well, I mean, one of the, the questions is just how much revenue will they lose, and that's hard to know until you know exactly how many fans are going to be there. They are, they're going to have to negotiate all kinds of contingencies before the regular season kicks off about, you know, what happens if there's no fans? What happens if there's 25% of fans? What happens if the season stops and then has to, I mean, starts and then has to stop at some point. What happens if you play only half the games? They're going to have to do that to protect, uh, you know, against what, you know, what the loss of revenue will be because the, there, there's a feeling among labor lawyers that if they kick off the regular season and play even one game um, and then they have to stop for whatever reason, that the teams would owe players their full annual salary, which obviously would be, very difficult for the teams. They would be losing revenue because there'd be no games. Plus, they would then have to pay out the full salary. So, obviously, the league does not want that. So, they're going to have to negotiate with the union about that. The estimate is that if they had to play every game with no fans at all, no fans in any stadium, that they would be losing, you know, four to six, four to five million dollars, four a billion, sorry, four to five billion dollars. And that's about 
a third of revenue. Um, the projected revenue for next season is $16 billion. So, you know, you're talking about a third of revenue. It's obviously, it's an enormous hit. But that's the worst-case scenario. That means no fans at any NFL game this year. I don't think anybody expects that it's going to be that. But there's no question they're going to they're going to lose some some money. There are there are mechanisms that they can use to sort of it's called smoothing the cap, where they borrow money from future years, um, so that there's not a steep decline in the cap this year or next year rather. So um, certainly they will do that because nobody wants a steep decline. That doesn't benefit anybody. It doesn't benefit the players, obviously, and it doesn't benefit the teams. It's very difficult to plan. You know, long-term contracts. If you have this wild fluctuation in the salary cap, so they will do what they have to do to smooth the cap, um, it, you know, and at least keep it flat. You know, it, it, nobody wants to see the cap go off the cliff. No, and of course, I mean the one thing that is going to be very seriously impacted, and we've watched it now in the last month, is that uh, getting contract extensions. I mean, right now there's about yeah. 628 unrestricted free agents whose contracts are uh, coming up, and uh, it's like, how do you do a deal, particularly if you're one of the 16 or 17 teams with uh, quarterback big salaries, you know, $21 million or more, how can you try to, you know, do any kind of a deal? Like, for example, I'm going to feel sorry for the running backs because in 2017, you've got about 10 running backs who did have done very well from the 217 draft, whose contracts are all up and uh, probably not going to be able to get much money. Right, exactly. It's nobody wants, that doesn't benefit anybody as much as people may think like, well, that's not so bad. Um, you know, for the teams, it's obviously not good for players. That's just not true. Like, it doesn't benefit. It's very hard to do contracts if you're a team. If, if you have these wild fluctuations, if you can't have, you know, a pretty good idea of what the cap will look like, um, you know, next year, two years from now. So it's beneficial for everybody to get that cap smoothed out. And look, the NFL is fortunate in one way in that, they're going to be doing this at the same time as they're doing new media contracts coming up. So there will be much more revenue coming forward um, over the next few years as these new media deals come online. And so it'll be much easier to borrow money from future caps to help smooth the cap you know, going into next season. Yeah, one incentive for the Players Association and the players is that uh, I know there's such a resistance uh, of having a 17th game, but if you go to a 17th game, then the percentage going to the players goes up from 48 to 48.5, and that smooths the cap a little bit more. And, of course, that's going to be based on, you know, the revenue in 2021. Correct. Yeah, there are certainly ways they can do it to make it so that there is not this dramatic drop-off on the cap and that's what they're going to do. I mean, there's just no question they are, they're going to have to work on it because they're, they're certainly not, they're not losing revenue, but they're, they're obviously not going to have as much revenue coming out of this season as would have initially been predicted. If you didn't have a global pandemic affecting everything, um, they're going to lose money, uh, you know, from the lack of fans. There's just no question. And that's just, that's not just, as you know, it's not just loss of ticket sales. It's, merchandise it's concessions it's parking it's all of that money that you know is in that pot um you know a big amount of it is going to disappear no doubt finally uh, what's it going to be like for us trying to cover uh the national football <laughs> leagues because i anticipate we're not going to get into locker rooms i think there's going to be no. almost 85 to 90 percent zoom as opposed to one-on-one interviews i mean what how, how is that all going to shake out 
yeah, I, I can't imagine being in a locker room this year. Um, I, I don't know. They haven't sent out those parameters yet for reporters. I suspect in some cases you're going to have to limit how many credentials you issue because, as we know, some press boxes, especially press boxes in older stadiums, are not that big. Um, so it would be almost impossible to do spacing. Um, you know, I was told early, like in some stadiums where the weather's good, could they build auxiliary press boxes in the stands? Because you're not going to have 80,000 people in the stands. So could you have some reporters sitting in the stands? Possible. Um, I think it's going to be very different. I, I agree with you. I think we're, it's going to be a lot of Zoom calls and a lot of conference calls and not a whole lot of face-to-face contact. That's for sure. Judy Batista from the NFL Network. Hey, thank you for uh, educating us on Schooled with the Professor. My pleasure. Talk to you guys later. And that does it for this week's podcast. In between episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at Clayton ESPN. If you enjoy these weekly one-on-one conversations, consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time on Schooled with the Professor.